<laughs> oh, thanks. Okay. I thought that's what he meant. Preach the word. If you want to open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Again, as Wyatt said, this evening at 6 o'clock, we'll be having this service for the community. There are pastors from, from several different churches in town that will be leading prayers. And then uh, best friends from LCU will be here, and also Mike Kelly will be leading part of that worship time. So I know you're going to be encouraged and blessed, and we are the host for this. If you were hosting a, a get-together at your house, you probably wouldn't like just unlock the door and go bowling. You know, you'd probably stay around. You'd probably be there, invite people in, welcome them. And I'm, I'm hoping that you all, even though it's not our... We're not in the habit of coming here at 6 o'clock, most of us, on Sunday nights. But even though it's not your habit to do this on Sunday nights, I'm asking you for one Sunday night, come and be with us on this Sunday night and be our host and welcome people from the community who come to worship. I'm thankful for the people who, who plan and uh, our worship time that we get together here uh, on, on Sundays and Wednesdays. I'm thankful for, uh, just like Troy, that he put his heart into thinking about what he said today, and he led us through communion in a very meaningful way. And I'm thankful for all the people who do that. Many, many people help us plan our worship at Gateway and are a part of that. And we are having, I'm just, this is partly to ask you to pray, everyone, but also to give a reminder, those of you that are part of the uh, leadings of our worship, we have a meeting today that we're going to have lunch together right back here in the fellowship room, and we're going to talk about, we're going to say thank you mostly, but we're also going to talk about what are ways that we can improve just the way we lead worship. We want to make our worship to God the very best it can possibly be. We want to offer Him our everything. Well, I have two words for you, and I know there's some of you that are spring breakers, and we're glad all the spring breakers are here. And we, uh, yeah, yeah, we are. I need to write that into my notes. Jace likes to clap a lot, so I need to write in the places that he's going to do that. Thank you. I appreciate your encouragement, Jace. So uh, we, we like to say two words here, and I'm going to say these two words, and if you believe them and you need them in your heart and your life and your uh, uh, every day of your life, then just repeat them after me. Repeat them with all your heart. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Amen. Amen. Last week, we began a series, not really a series, just a couple of lessons that uh, we talked about people pleasers last week. We looked at Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew 6 was really leading us to, to not try to live our life for others, for the crowd of people, whether that be our, our family or the people we work with or our spouse or our kids or our parents, not to live for the crowd, not to live for their adoration and for their approval. No, not to be people pleasers. <clears throat> Matthew 6 specifically <clears throat> encourages us to live our lives for an audience of one. To live our lives for that one that we are trying to please. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. We talked about that last week, and if you didn't get to hear that, and you actually are a person who struggles with being a people pleaser, I would I would strongly encourage you to go back to our website and listen to that lesson from last week and ask God to help you 
Stop doing that. Stop living your life for the audience of others. But there are some other people. There's another struggle that many of us here in this room have. There are some of us who don't care about pleasing other people. I told you last week, if you're one of those, this week is for you. And several of you have told me, I'm ready. I'm getting ready. I don't, come on, bring it. You know, it doesn't matter to me what you say. Come on, because I'm not trying to please anybody. So <clears throat> some of us, some of us are not necessarily people pleasers. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we completely care about pleasing God. Some of us. Our greatest struggle is that we want to please me. We want to please ourselves. We're selfish. We're self-centered. We wake up thinking in the morning, the very first thought out of our brain is me. What do I need to do today? What do I want to do today? What can I get out of this day? What can I accomplish? What can those people do for me? What can I... See, some of us are living for an audience of one. But the problem is that that one that we're living for is not God. It's me. Brian Regan is a funny comedian and he has a funny little bit story he does about the me monster. And he talks about when you go to a party and you walk in and you just see somebody and they're kind of standing by themselves and you say, hey, how's it going? You know, tell me about yourself. And it's like the lights come on and they're like, oh, yes, I'll tell you about. Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about my wife. Let me tell you about my kids. Let me tell you about my car. Let me tell you about my job. Let me tell you about where I've been. Let me tell you about what I've done. Let me tell you about me, 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 me. The me monster. And the text we're going to read today tells us that the me monster is a real thing. That living for self is not just annoying to everybody around you. It's evil. And although we sometimes are able to see this in other people around us, I want to tell you it's important for all of us today, John first and then all of you in line right behind me, it's important for all of us to examine our own hearts today as we read this text. To examine our lives. To see if there's this evil inside of us, this me monster. I like what John Piper said. He said, we need to be aware of the ugliness of evil as it appears first in the mirror, right here in me, and then after that in the media. We need to be aware that there's problems in the world, there's problems in our country, there's problems all around us, there's problems with our neighbors. Sure, we need to be aware that there's evil out there and in the world, but first, we need to take a shot in the mirror as we read the text today and examine inside from 2 Timothy Chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, you can open a Bible. There should be some Bibles in the pews there. If you don't own a Bible and you, and, and you would like to own a Bible, that Bible that you find is our gift to you. If it has a, somebody's name on it, the neighbor next to you, you can wrestle them over it. But otherwise, if you find a Bible, you take it home. We want you to have God's Word in your hand so that it can be in your heart. 
I'm going to start reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to work our way through verses 1 through 13. Verse 1, but mark this. There will be terrible times. There will be terrible times in the last days. When are the last days? I have people ask that a lot. When are the last days? And this text that we're going to look at shows us that when Paul was alive on the earth, that's 2,000 years ago, when Paul the Apostle was alive on the earth and he was writing to Timothy, those were the last days. Those days. Now, now wait a second. How can you say that those are the last days? How do you know that, John? Well, here's the reason. Because Paul says there's going, to be, there's going to be terrible times in the last days. And then he tells us about these people. And he's going to spend three or four verses telling us about these people in the last days. And in verse 5, he says, he says this. He says, have nothing to do with those people. Those people were around in Paul's day. He said, there's going to be terrible times. People are going to act like this in the last days right now. So have nothing to do with those people. Well, what about right now, John? I mean, are these the last days? Yes. Yes, they are. Absolutely. These are the last days. It is my firm belief, and this is not the point of the sermon, but it's my firm belief that the time after Jesus came to the earth are the last days. These are the last days. How long are they going to last, John? And I know the correct, perfect, exact, biblical answer. How long will they last? Are you ready? Here's how long. I don't know. And quite frankly, neither do you. In fact, no one knows except our Father in heaven. And he told us this, live wisely right now. Today. Because these are the last days. Be ready right this second for the clouds to split and Jesus to come and take you home. Be ready right this moment to drop dead of a heart attack while we are, while I'm preaching. Somebody could die in the room. Yeah, I could die. Be ready to die on the way home. Seeing the way the people from out of town drive. <laughs> Trying to be careful and kind. Verse 1, he says, there'll be terrible times in the last days. Verse 2, he says this, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godless, but godless godliness but denying its power. Does that sound like now? Have nothing to do with such people. Verse 6, they are the kind who worm, or other, other, scripts, other uh, versions say creep. They creep. They're creeps. They creep their way in to houses and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. They're always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers opposed the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But 
they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, talking about Janus and Jambres, their folly will be clear to everyone. Verse 10, you, however, Paul's talking. Paul the Apostle, talking to Timothy. You, Timothy, you, however, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, Paul says, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Wait a second, hold on. That might be, hold on, this might be for us. Wait a second. This might be specifically directed to every person in this room who claims to be a Christian, wants to follow Jesus. Listen very, very close. In fact, verse 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I can't tell you how many times people come to me and they're like, oh, this happened. It just wasn't fair and I can't believe. And this person treated me like this and they said this about me. They talked behind my back. And sometimes, depending on how good of friends I am with that person or how much caffeine I've had that day, I oftentimes say, well, praise God. I'm so happy you got mistreated. It's not very nice preacher to say that. I'm not the one saying it. It's the Apostle Paul. Take it up with him. He says, you want to follow Jesus? You want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? You will be persecuted. Now, what about the other side? While evildoers, the people we talked about at the beginning, or we read about at the beginning, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. There's quite a few lists in the Bible. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different places where there's a list of fruit of the Spirit or or the acts of the flesh, or different, different things where they, these, these long lists that get this kind of like that. And it's possible to read over those lists with little thinking. Or to say, yeah, no, I get it. I get, it. I get what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But years ago, I heard a preacher suggest that when you come in your Bible, when you come to a list like this, it's a good idea to think about each one of the items on the list. Write them down or type them out and put those in your own words. Ask God to reveal to you as you read each phrase or word, God, what is this? What, like, how would I put this in my own words? And reveal to me, God how each of these things in this list might be a temptation to me personally. I've done that with this list that we just read. There's 18 or 19 different things. And I would encourage you to do the same. But I'm going to read it to you. But I would encourage you, when you go home tonight, I would encourage you to get out a piece of paper and go back to 2 Timothy 3 and write down all 18 or 19 of these things. And then, and then just write in your own words, what does that mean? Am I tempted with this, God? Verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves. And what we're talking about here today is living for an audience of one. Me. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. 
What does that look like? Lovers of money. Well, what I wrote is greedy people. Hoarders who are stingy. Don't share. Next, boastful people. People who brag outright or maybe subtly drop names and accomplishments in on the side of the conversation. Boastful. Proud people. People who are unwilling to admit, I am part of the problem. I'm part of it. It's partly my fault. Proud people, no way. Those words don't ever come out of their lips. Abusive. People who want to hurt others on purpose. Disobedient to their parents. People who have an attitude of rebellion. Ungrateful people. I think, I think, we, I think we all struggle. I'm just going to be honest. I think there's a lot of ungratefulness in the world. I think there's a lot of ungratefulness in God's kingdom. I think there possibly might be a lot of ungratefulness in the room. People who feel entitled. People who are thinking, whatever I have right now, I deserve more. Whatever I have right now, I am not content with this. Ungrateful. Next, unholy. Just no reverence for God. Treating every situation in life flippantly or approaching everything with sarcasm. Never understanding there are moments on holy ground. And God has called us holy people. Unholy. Without love. People who purposely turn away from the needs of others. I've got good excuses for it. Well, they probably are scamming us. They need to get a job. They need to grow up. They made their own bed. They need to sleep in it. Lots of good reasons. Lots of good reasons to be without love. Purposely turning away from the needs of other people. Unforgiving. The stubborn belief that I have the right to hold a grudge against this person. Unforgiving. Slanderous. Finding joy. Oh, I mean, mm, tastes good. Finding joy in talking behind someone's back. Hoping, I can't admit it, I couldn't say it out loud, but really deep down inside, hoping that my words might make things a little worse for them, slanderous. Without self-control, people who are addicted and don't care anymore. No struggle, just addicted and don't care. Brutal. People who are cold-hearted about hurting other people. Tough luck, man. Stinks to be you. Too bad. Not lovers of the good. In other words, loving, 
loving what I want, what I need, what I'm going to get right now, regardless of whether it's good or bad, I want it. That's, that's lovers of self. Lovers of good say, even when something comes that hurts me, but it's good, they embrace it. They embrace it, even if it hurts me, because they're lovers of good. People who are not lovers of good only love what I want. Treacherous, fickle people ready to stab others in the back. Rash people. Seeking pleasure in any way, regardless of cost to self or others around me. Rash. Conceited. Thinking I'm pretty big stuff. Pretty important. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. God doesn't tell us, doesn't tell us in the Bible that we shouldn't enjoy things. He says He gave us these things for our enjoyment. But we're talking about people who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These are people who find their purpose every day in partying rather than praying. I'm not talking about a person who falls in, you know, trips and falls, gets trapped in, you know, sucked into some situation. You know, we've all done things that maybe, maybe I shouldn't say all of us. I know all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but I think it's likely that most everybody in the room has done something that was pleasurable and it was sinful and you shouldn't have done it and you got sucked into it or you tripped and fell into it. I'm not talking about sinning. We're talking about people who find their purpose in life in partying instead of praying. And then lastly, he says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Good words, but no action. Paul's words here are an invitation to examine ourselves, but he also tells us something, and this is, that's pretty, I don't know, I don't know how you hear it, but he tells us this. Do not, have anything to do with people who live this way. That sounds really harsh and judgmental to me. It's got to be obvious that, that Paul is not instructing us to make a little Christian bubble, this little, this little thing that we live inside where we never get any dirt on us or we never, we, you know, our little ears never hear a word. Or we never, he's not talking about that. Because you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Jesus told us to go into all the world, teach the gospel. You can't do that unless you're going to go get messy with people. Why the harsh warning that he would say don't have anything to do with these people? Well, it's because of verse 6. It's because evil is creepy. It creeps. It worms. It reaches in and it gets a little hold and then it gets a little farther in. It preys on weak people. Here in this text, in Paul's culture, that was probably women. Women were less educated. Women had less opportunities. They had, they had less uh, uh, chances to make decisions for themselves. And so they were easily swayed. They were weak people in that culture could be gullible people who believe anything. He talks about people who are ashamed. Why would a Christian be ashamed? It's, you're only ashamed if you don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The gospel of Jesus says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation if you're in Jesus Christ. He talks about people who are full of evil desires. They follow what they feel instead of what they know to be true from the authority of God's revealed word. That could be men or women. It could be young or old. It happens when people don't know God's truth. They just have some vague concept. Some idea about God, sort of. Some idea what seems to be good and what seems to be bad. They kind of know maybe what's right a little bit and what's wrong. And when people have that sense about, I kind of, I haven't really studied, I haven't really read the Bible, I don't know for sure, evil just creeps all over the place. It just creeps in. And that's why it's so important to stay immersed in God's Word. Which is what he says after the part we just read. I want to read this to you, verses 14 through 17. As for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures, God breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. At Gateway, our mission, what we want in our lives, we want to grow closer to Christ, and we want to encourage other people to grow closer to Christ. And we believe that one of the main ways we do that is through God's Word. When we get together on Sunday, when we get together on Wednesday, when we get together in mission groups or in, in, in men's studies, women's studies, when we get together in, in discipleship partners, when we're on our own trying to make decisions, we want to stay in the Word as one of the main ways to avoid the creepiness of evil. God's Word will shut the door when evil is trying to creep into your life. Paul gives us another way to avoid the creepiness of evil. In verses 8 and 9, he says this. He says time. I'm not going to read it. You can read it there or look in your own Bible. But he's saying, in essence, time is important in our friendships and our relationships. Time matters. People who are lovers of themselves, who have evil intent, who have evil actions. Sometimes we can't see that at first. But their folly, their foolishness, their self-centeredness becomes evident to everybody. Everybody eventually sees it, is what this text says in verses 8 and 9. He gives us a biblical example Janus and Jambres are not actually mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, but the Jewish Talmud, which is kind of like a, it's kind of like a commentary to the old law by Jews, it identified these two people, these two men, as the magicians in Egypt who were able to duplicate the first three things that Moses did. You remember the story? Moses goes in, let my people go, and he does a couple of things, throws a stick on the ground, turns into a snake, turns the water into... Uh, blood, and they're able to duplicate some of these at the beginning. But evil can't go as far as righteousness. Evil can't go as far as God. And so as God gets His people out of Egypt, they go on ten mighty, amazing acts, and it's shown. It's folly. These two guys, Janus and Jambres, they're fools. It's shown evident to everybody. They can't keep up with God Almighty with righteousness. That's a biblical example. 
But there's lots of life examples, aren't there? All of us have probably made this mistake. We've, what Corinthians says, yoked ourselves with unbelievers. We've connected ourselves, like put the yoke over our neck with somebody who didn't really believe in God. But we got into that relationship. Some people in marriage with people that were not believers. Some people with business partners and they're locked in. Some people with your BFF. You guys know what that is? Anybody? What is it? Best friend forever? Okay. I thought it had something to do with bicycles. I wasn't sure, so... I'm just kidding. I knew it's a best friend forever. You know, you can have friends that are not believers. Great. Go be a friend of people who are not believers. Go to their house. Go hang out with them. But you're BFF. You're connecting yourself. You're, you're locking in with somebody and your lives are going to be influenced and impacted by each other. And you know what happens? Time begins to tell when people have evil intent, evil actions, I have a friend who lives in another state, and over a decade ago, uh, he's a Christian man, uh, and he, over a decade ago, his wife left him, and so he found himself divorced and raising two kids. And I visited with him, and, you know, and went, actually went to visit him and see him, and he was broken and just destroyed and just terrible. He's a horrible time in his life, and he found himself vulnerable and on the rebound and he met and married another woman quickly and i didn't hear from him for a while and when i did finally catch up with him he said man it just was a little while after we got married we came home together and it just like click 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 he said, I realized I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. I'd married somebody who didn't believe in God. Somebody who wasn't, wasn't a believer, wasn't someone who was walking with Jesus. So slow down. Make sure that you're connected up with people who are living for the right audience of one. People that are living for Jesus. Slow down in your friendships, in your connections with people. Now Paul gives us, a, he gives us a picture or a snapshot of the other choice. Not the evil, but the other choice. In verse 10, he tells us about himself. He says, look at me. You want to see somebody who's following an audience of one who's living for Jesus? He says, look at my teaching. It's centered on the gospel. It's not centered on myself. Paul's not, Paul doesn't care about himself. He cares about Jesus. It's possible. I, I don't know... I, I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's possible to go to church or be around churches or be around Christians who the whole deal with God is all about them. It's all about me. He's, they're using God to get what they want. Paul's not like that. His teaching is gospel-centered. He says, look at my way of life. Paul lived his life for Jesus. Look at my purpose, he says. Consider all... He, this is what Paul said. I consider all rubbish or trash or dung or doo-doo, whatever word you want to use from Philippians chapter 3, he says, I consider all that stuff a bunch of doo-doo compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
He says, look at my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. If you spent time around Paul, he would over time reveal who he was living for. And it was evident, he said, in his persecutions. That's how you could tell. That's how you could tell that that Paul was living for an audience of one. Because when the persecution came, he just kept living for that audience of one. He kept living for Jesus Persecution, bam, you're going to live for him? Yep, bam, you're going to live for him? Yep. He just kept living for Jesus. And he says his persecutions led to horrible suffering. Horrible suffering in Paul's life. We don't have time to go through, but most of you know about Paul's life and all the horrible things that happened to him. If you don't read the book of Acts and read and see what happened to him, just just one small example, one time, he was preaching the gospel, and people got so mad at him, they took him out and threw rocks at him and broke his head, basically. And they threw him in the dirt, and they left him because they knew, that guy's dead. We killed him. Persecuted. Suffering. Broken bones. Rocks. Hit. Hurt. And as we read, everyone, everyone is making a choice who they're going to live for. Are you going to live for others? Like we talked about last week? Are you going to live for yourself? Like we read in 2 Timothy 3? Or are you going to live for Jesus? Paul finishes by telling us the results of whichever choice you make. Verse 13, he says this. He says, while evildoers and imposters, this is what happens to them. They go from bad to worse. And any of you who have lived that first list we just read, you've lived rebellious to Jesus. You've lived in evil ways. You've let evil creep into your life. You know that your life has gone from bad and you were trying to get it to be better and it went from bad to worse. That's what living for myself reaps. And it might not happen immediately, but Seeds get planted and they grow over time. So, the result of living for ourselves, living for the audience of one, for me, is going from bad to worse. Or we can live for Jesus. In verse 11, he says this, Yet the Lord rescued me from all of this. The persecutions, the suffering, the Lord rescued me from it all, he says. He rescued rescued me. Well, wait a second, Paul. What do you mean he rescued you? We know. You got whipped, you got shipwrecked, you got hit in the head with rocks, you, you were persecuted, you, you were in jail. What, what do you mean He rescued you from them all? Living for an audience of one. The Lord rescues. We still face persecution. We still face suffering but He rescues us because He is with us. He was with Paul and He'll be with you. He rescues us from quitting. He helped Paul not give up and He'll help you not give up. He rescues our faith from being destroyed. He rescued Paul's faith from being destroyed and He'll rescue your faith. And He rescues us ultimately by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus died, He was buried, He raised from the, from the grave, And that people who trust in Him, well, let me just let Paul tell you what it says. Chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. But the Lord stood at my side 
and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Could have been the lion in the Colosseum when persecution was coming. Maybe. Could be talking about the lion, the devil. The roaring lion. He was rescued from the devil. But here's the deal. Verse 18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God is going to bring us home to His kingdom. When Paul was finally killed in Rome, when he was martyred for the name of Jesus, God rescued him that day. Paul didn't deny his faith. He lived for an audience of one. And you will be delivered as well from every evil deed. At the end, you will be rescued by God and He will bring you safely to His heavenly kingdom. Ultimate healing. Ultimate rescue. And we will say goodbye. We will say goodbye, evil. Evil in the mirror that we see in our own lives and evil in the media, we will say goodbye on that day and God will rescue us just as He's rescuing us now. I read a book several months ago. It's called An Autopsy of a Dead Church. One of our other elders gave it to me to read. An Autopsy of a Dead Church. And, and, and without going into a lot of detail, this is basically what that little book said. If a congregation of believers begins to live trying to please people around them, that's the day they begin to die. If a congregation of God's people tries to live as a group of people for themselves, what's best for us? How can we hold on to what we got? Oh, be careful, don't spend too much. Oh, watch out, Ooh, those people coming in, oh man, they don't look the same as us. Oh, we want to be comfortable, we want everything to be the way that we like it, and we start to live for ourselves. That's the day that church begins to die. At Gateway, our great desire, your leaders at Gateway, our great desire is to live as a congregation for an audience of one, for God Himself. Not for the people around us and what they think, and not for our own comfort and what we love. No, for the right audience of one, Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the singing group to come back up, and we're going to sing a final song of invitation. But I just want to, I just want to finish this way by saying, if you're here today... And you say, you know that audience of one, that one, little white, that one little white chair that you've got there? I know I sit myself in that chair and I'm living for me. You nailed me today, John. Well, let me start by saying, no, I didn't. The Holy Spirit did that. But if that's you and you say, I'm living just for selfish me and what I want. How do I stop doing that? Well, here's, here's some ideas. Wake up tomorrow morning and instead of thinking about yourself, begin by doing this. Just, just to pray. Lord, 
today. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Help me to think about You today, God. Give me scheming ways to bless Your name today, God. Help me to be creative about about serving other people today, God, in Your name. Help me to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit no matter where He leads me. How can I please You today, God? How can I live every moment of this day for You, Jesus? You're the only one that matters to me, Jesus. What you think, where you leave, what puts a smile on your face, you're the only audience that I seek to please. I do not seek to please others around me, Lord. Not today. And I do not seek to please myself. Not today, Lord. Only you today. Is that a good prayer? If you need some prayer today, for whatever we might have talked about, anything. We have a time of invitation. And if, and if you have, if you put your faith in Christ, praise God. If you've never done that, we want to invite you to put your faith in Christ today. And if you've done that, but you've never been immersed into Christ, we would like to immerse you into Christ this morning. We'll all hang out here. K-Bob's will wait. It'll be great. It'll be an awesome morning. If you've never been immersed, baptized into Christ, we would love to baptize you today. This is Jesus' invitation. The only one that matters is inviting you right now. Let's stand and let's sing. Take my life and let it be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee Take my 